I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What up, guys? Happy Monday. Very happy Monday. Boston won. It's always a happy Monday when Boston win. Very sad Friday. Very happy Monday. See how things can change in the space of three days. I'm joined by Mr. Brendan Nunes, who's living in a new apartment, moving all week, looks hella tired again. Dude never looks awake, I'm telling you. How you doing, Brendan? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. Uh, yeah, like you said, just moved into this place, so I definitely had a busy weekend. I spent about three hours building an entertainment center with a TV stand. It was, it was not fun. Um, what was fun was, like you said, watching the Celtics come out and finally hold on to a lead in game four or game three, excuse me. And uh, yeah, the score was 117-106 over Miami and, and Hayward was back. Did you watch the game on the entertainment center that you built? I did after, after like I watched half of it on my phone because I didn't finish the entertainment center. It, it took a stupid amount of time. Um, and then I watched the second half on the TV on the entertainment center. Yeah. Was that rewarding? It was, although I was just tired and like pooped out. But yes, it was. Yeah, dude, that's that's the best feeling, right? When you build like a whole system to put your TV and your stuff in there, and then you're like, yeah, I can just kick back, put the Celtics on, watch Gordon Haywood make his return to the floor, watch Gordon porn stash Haywood get real (laughs) down and dirty against the Miami Heat, and then watch Boston come out and bring it back to two one in the series, looking to tie it up on Wednesday. So, I mean, there's a bunch of takeaways from this game, especially we've had the Celtics bounce back following their uh, disagreements after the last game. Where do you want to jump in from? Which, where do you want to focus first? I feel like we should focus on Hayward. I mean, he was like the clear difference in this game in regards to like what the teams were throwing out there. And uh, he came off the bench, but he played 31 minutes. And while he only had six points on two of seven shooting, I mean, there's also five rebounds, four assists, a block, three steals, only one turnover in 31 minutes with a good little bit of uh, ball handling responsibilities. And we know Celtics have had a short rotation. Like we were talking Brad Wanamaker getting, what was it, like something like 27 minutes in game two. And while sure, he's a nice player, you don't want Brad Wanamaker getting close to 30 minutes come playoffs. And yeah, aside from the starters, and Gordon Hayward, Grant Williams, nine minutes. Ennis Cantor, six minutes. Brad Wanamaker, nine minutes. So you're really rolling out great players the entire time. And if you can really kind of try to stick to a six-man rotation with getting away with three, four other guys sprinkled in there when some of them need rest, then I think that that alone makes the Celtics team so much more dangerous. I mean, look, man, the way I look at it is I've seen a lot of people, there was a lot of things going on across social media yesterday where people were saying Hayward didn't really make that much of an impact. Now, when you've got, if you've lost two games with no Hayward, then Hayward comes back and you find a way to win and you don't struggle against the zone as much, then two plus two equals four, it doesn't equal six. So Hayward coming back has obviously gave you that off-ball movement he's gave you look even when he's not scoring and even when he's not at his best he still deep like commands attention on the defensive end from Miami they still have to 
change the way they cover. They have to make sure that Hayward's got man-to-man coverage or that they're not affording him too much space because he can hurt you. He can blow by you in an instant. He can hit you off cuts. And if you allow him to get into the mid-range, then he's going to fire at will. So just because he didn't put up the numbers doesn't mean his presence wasn't conducive to the team winning. What I will say as well is, the Celtics had really struggled defending the weak side. You pointed this out after game two. Do you remember? Like the, yeah. def- the weak side rotations were poor. Two of Hayward's steals came off that weak side rotation. Um, both on the weak side corner, he, he was anticipating the passes. He, he clogged the passing lane successfully twice. He probably had a few deflections in there as well. I haven't actually looked at the hustle stats, uh, but I'm assuming he definitely did. So bringing him into the fold, not only does it give you another leader, it gives you a playmaker, a guy that can really settle down the team, but it gives you an offensive weapon that now Miami have to deal with. This is like having a whole new player come in nearly at the end of the like at the bubble. He's kind of been injured all the way through, and now you bring him in and everything Miami have done defensively has to alter, and that can really throw a spanner in the works. I'm not sure if Miami are going to be able to contend with Boston as Brown starts to get his feet underneath him a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, Hayward, it, the great thing about him, like, I mean, this was an all-star level player, but he just seamlessly fits. Like, he's not going to demand these touches, but at the same time, he's decisive about what he does. You know, there were moments in games one and two, and also a few moments in game three, where the Celtics kind of were just swinging the ball and looked like they didn't really know what they wanted to run or who wanted to run it. And in this one, like you saw moments of Gordon saying, you know, grabbing the board and just initiating the offense himself and being decisive about it. And that in itself is something that the Celtics were missing. You mentioned his defense, like Gordon's just a ridiculously smart player on both ends of the floor. And yeah, for him to go out there and play 31 minutes in the Eastern Conference Finals, Game 3, down 2-0, a huge game. And for him to go out there and get that much run after not really probably being in game shape, like he hasn't been out there in who knows how long. Um, and, yeah, for him to go out there and have this performance, I thought this was extremely impressive. And also, by the way, the news that he's not going to return home for the birth of his child is insane and also you know basketball wise amazing news for the Celtics like I think that I don't want to put words in your mouth but I think that you and I were kind of both counting on Hayward not really being here for the most part because there was this lingering you know at some point he's going to leave for the birth of his child and it could be Eastern Conference Finals finals um, if Boston makes it there and now it looks like he's going to be around I mean that's huge news basketball wise for the Celtics I mean, first of all, the fact that he played 31 minutes was mainly based on the fact that Marcus Smart and Daniel Tice got into foul trouble. So Brad Stevens said post-game that he kind of played Hayward a little bit longer than what he wanted to, but Hayward handled it quite well. You know, he's a consummate professional. And I do, I've said this before, but I feel like he is the embodiment of Stevens on the floor. Uh, just because of how, like you said, how intelligently he plays. In terms of staying in the bubble... Um, Missing his child's birth, like, look, everybody's going to have an opinion on that. But at the end of the day, I'm assuming that Gordon and Robin discussed that. I'm saying it like they're my friends, you know, I'm putting them on first time. But I'm assuming, you know, the Haywards as a family sat down and discussed what they wanted to do and what was best to do. 
and they came to a decision. Whether or not you think that's a right decision morally is irrelevant because it's not your decision, it's theirs. And Hayward decided that he would rather stay and go as far as this team can go. With him there, if he can stay healthy now, if like touch wood, if he can stay healthy for the remainder of the, the playoffs, he's going to give Boston a real good chance of making it to the finals and then anything's possible, especially in the Celtics-Lakers finals. Yeah, and that, that one's going to be scary um, if Boston gets there. But yeah, I mean, being able to roll out your best five player lineup of Kemba, Marcus, Jalen, Jason, and Hayward, like especially against Miami, totally viable. Totally viable. Have Jalen or even Marcus guarding or Gordon on BAM. And, you know, Miami rolls out a small lineup as well. Um, you, you mentioned Jalen kind of being in a groove a little bit. And he definitely was in this game. Again, yeah, 26 points, 11 of 17 from the field. Great to see. And the most minutes in the game with 43. Um, he was putting up numbers before, but it wasn't the most efficient. So that 11 of 17 is really nice to see. And he did a decent job on the boards. I thought that was a big thing in this one. Um, him and Tatum, I mean, Tatum 14 boards. And I think he said something after game two about how or maybe it was after game one earlier in this series about how he usually is a better rebounder and he really should be go, go, going after the board more. <laughs> um, and he definitely did that in this one. Um, that's yeah. his eighth double-double in 14 games. Well, well yeah. I, I mean, and he, it's almost a triple-double, 25, 14, and eight assists. Um, yeah, I mean, him and Brown really were like that duo today that you kind of expect them to be. And, yeah, I mean, the Celtics, like, they did good things in game one and two. They came out, and those really – they should have won those games. They blew those games. And I kind of think it's as simple as in game three, like, they didn't blow it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, they came out a lot more aggressive. Jalen Brown was driving the lane instead of standing in the corner and shooting pull-ups. And that's when Jalen Brown's at his best, you know. He kind of reverted to, I want to get my shoulder down and get to the rim. He was converting the first seven shots that Boston took to open that game. Six of them were around the rim. They only shot one that was outside of the arc. And that was the difference, right? I mean, Boston are a phenomenal three-point shooting team. But when Miami come out in that inverted zone with their three long guys to begin the game, because they know it's giving the Celtics trouble. So they're trying to make, you know, force Boston into a slow start. To have guys like Bryant penetrate and really attack the rim from the go, set that tone um, as aggressiveness. I remember Eric Spolstra spoke about it. Um, I think it was at halftime or after the third quarter. And he was like, uh, the reason Boston are winning is because they've come out of this into this game with additional force, more force than what we're meeting them back with. And we've got to learn to adjust to kind of cope with that force. Now, look, when you've got Gordon Haywood running point forward, coming off the bench, that penetration and that like force in, in getting into the teeth of the defense and breaking down that zone is relentless because there's never a moment in time where there's not somebody on the floor capable of just penetrating, penetrating. And that's when your corner freeze open up and you can start kicking out to Grant Williams, who's a three point, um, you know, rookie JJ Reddick in the bubble. He's just hitting (laughs) everything from the corner. And then, you know, you can kick out to Jalen Brown to go and get his mid-range game or his three point shooting. And to me, that was the biggest difference from game one and two to game three was the aggressiveness with getting the ball in the paint and making plays around the rim. And that then opened up plays 
from the three-point line because guys were already in their groove because they've seen shots fall in the lane. And to me, that was part of the, one of the biggest parts of why they came out of this game. Yeah, to me, I, I believe it was Spolstra that said it. I mean, Miami just cannot contain these this crazy Boston, what, trio, maybe even four guys off the dribble. So, yeah, they can blow the by. Horsemen. Yeah, they can, right. They can blow by. All four of those guys can blow by the guy guarding them pretty much at any point. Like, even if you're talking Jimmy Butler, like, he's an insanely smart defender, but he's, like, lost a step a little bit laterally. Um, like, a young Jalen Jason are, are going to be able to blow by him. Kemba's going to be able to blow by him. And, and it really was the decision-making when you were getting met by that help man. And that was a lot better in this game. Um, like you said, they were more aggressive just getting to the hole and especially Jalen. And I think that, you know, the, the really positive part of that to me was that he got there and then was decisive about it. He didn't get there and, and throw up a bad look. Again, 11 of 17 from the field is really nice. And to have five assists and only two turnovers – I think that, that's pretty good numbers for Jalen there, a, a guy that you worry about his decision-making a little bit. And just to kind of double down on getting to the to the, um, to the the rim, I mean, Marcus, 10 free throws, five for Jalen, five for Tatum. They were definitely, again, yeah, like you said, going at the rim. And, and that was a big difference maker here. And, like, they just – they came out and, and they actually felt like they wanted this game, like, for – 40 what 40 like 42 minutes there was like a little stretch where it got a little scary um but for the most part like they came out and they really wanted this one yeah and i mean to triple down on the points around the rim you double down i'll triple down you know we'll flow like this yeah in game one and two celtics highest points in the paint numbers were 44 points game three they hit 60 so you can see that's a bit of a jump. There's a bit of aggression going on there. Another thing we never touched on is the off-ball movement. There was one play that really sticks in my mind. I think it was in the second quarter. You have uh, Marcus Smart on the elbow of the three. Uh, Jason Tatum's got possession on the... So Marcus Smart's on the weak side elbow. Jason Tatum's on the strong side elbow. And you've got Kemba Walker sitting around the nail. And Kemba curls towards the baseline and then towards the three-point line. Smart receives the ball, stutter steps on uh, Butler, and then literally just because of the way where Kemba's moved and how he's dragged the interior defense to follow him, there's just an open driving lane. Smart gets down and uh, scores an easy bucket. I think it was the first quarter, actually. But it was just one of those plays where it's not what we've seen from Boston in the first two games. There was no standing around. Pardon? It's not the iso ball. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've got one guy making a very clever curl, curl play coming off a pin down towards the mid-range. The entire defense has to shift because you don't want Kemba getting open in the corner. So that allows that allows Tatum to feed Smart because he can see the open lane. And then Butler has to close out and Smart's already got a live dribble at that point. So now you can score. And that was a very consistent theme throughout attacking the zone this, um, in that game. You could see if you were watching that, that the way Miami zone was, it was kind of moving as a wave because of how the ball was getting swung left to right and how the penetration and kickouts were happening. That is how Boston are going to beat Miami because the length that they've got on the perimeter with that inverted zone is very tough to break down in terms of dribble drive without that off-ball movement. That, and that's where Haywood is so important, in my opinion, because Haywood will make those baseline cuts. Or he'll just relocate 
but he'll make sure he hits the interior before he relocates back out onto the perimeter. And it just causes those off-ball rotations to happen. And that's not what was happening in game one and two. And it's Cantor also um, came in. And ask, what do you think of Cantor uh, playing over? It, it seems like he's the backup center in this one. Yeah, and it makes sense, right? Because if you we're talking about penetration, we're talking about you want the ball getting in into the paint because that's going to be how you start to affect the zone. Then Ennis Cantor's the guy you want. You want that throwback guy that can post somebody up. He can handle Kelly Olini. And I'm not like ecstatic about the fact that Cantor's going to have to defend some of the Miami like mid-range pick-and-roll lob game that they've got going on. But the majority of the time, Brad Stevens is pulling in his canter before, as soon as Bam hits the floor. And Kelly Olinick's a lot easier to guard. However, he will pull canter out of the paint a little bit because of that floor stretching ability. But you live with it, right? Because, you know, Kelly Olinick's got to hit his freeze. You know, canter's going to give you second chance points and he's going to hit his little hooks. So uh, I'm cool with it. I feel like it's a really good, uh, a good switch. But again, I like the look of Robert Williams for this one too. Not Robert Williams, sorry, Grant Williams. One other question I want to ask you, I mean, what do you think of, what do you think of Kemba in this one? He's kind of, I mean, he's been focused this series and last series, more specifically in that Toronto series, obviously. Um, But like, I feel like he hasn't had like a, performance where he's been the guy on the team which you know to be fair the Celtics have like a whole what'd you say a four-headed horseman and four horsemen right and he, and he did have uh 21 points in this one you know and was one of four guys to have 20 plus by the way so it's not like he had a bad performance but I'm just surprised that there hasn't been one where like Kemba's been the guy yeah I mean look when the team's playing well and it's playing the way they did on Saturday, it was Saturday, right? Yeah, it was Saturday. Saturday. Then you, no one should be the guy because that's not the Celtic system. The Celtic system is you have multiple guys dropping 20 or above. When they're playing like they did in game one or game two, then somebody has to be that guy. And Kemba was unfortunately struggling at that period, throughout that period. His shots weren't falling. He just didn't know how to kind of get himself going again. Personally, I'm not fussed. I don't want him dropping 40, 45. I think it's great if he does. But I'm more, did the Celtics win? Did Kemba score 21 and the Celtics win? Yeah. Okay, so if Kemba scores 45, will the Celtics still win? Hmm. Maybe not because it means Kemba went ISO more than probably what he would have needed to. So um, you, you think he, I guess like in this one, you think that he was really like a primary contributor to that winning? Because he it was it was a little rough, you know, like only two assists, four turnovers like you said like he had some good off-ball gravity that you definitely could point to that's not going to show up in the numbers um and that's what he wanted to do right when he came to Boston he said he wants to play off ball more because he knows that he can make things happen without the ball in his hands and he wants the opportunity to do that and he's got that opportunity now yeah he's gonna have turnovers he's he's a point guard with a ridiculously high usage rate in the conference finals where every single pass is contested every play is contested Goran Dragic had five turnovers too. You know what I mean? And he was the primary point guard for Miami. Right. So I understand that, like, yo, you need to stop turning the ball over so much, but it's only the same as what's happening to the other team because of the intensity that both teams are playing D. 
uh, I'm fine with him not having like a breakout cardiac Kemba game if he's saving it for against LA in the next round. Um, should yeah. Boston gets that get there. I feel like when the big shots are needed to be taken, if there's a game on the line and it's a ridiculously big moment, like a game seven, then Kemba's, Kemba and Jason will be the two guys that you want the ball in their hand. Whichever one it falls to first is fine. Uh, but at the moment, I'd be more confident if, um, sorry, Jason, if Tatum took that shot over Kemba. Interesting. If we were talking like last shot, I might lean Kemba, actually. Um, like, I think... I don't know. Tatum has hit some clutch shots. I'm probably not giving him enough credit, but I think that like, that's part of my worry with this series is that like, I don't think the Celtics have been good closers. If it's a close game, they, they've been poor in the Miami series with that. Yeah. And Miami have the best closer in the series in Jimmy Butler. Yeah. And I also like, um, Goran Dragic is a, he spent most of the season playing as a six man. He came into the playoffs and he's kind of been thrust back into that starting role. And his chemistry with Bam Adebayo is ridiculous, man. The way they run that little two-man um, on, the, yeah. on the shoulder and then they, uh, sorry, on the elbow of the key and they run that little two-man pick and roll for the love pass and they really punish a poor weak side rotation there. Um, that's almost telepathic. Tyler Hero, uh, one draft pick away, dude, for Boston. I know, he, and I, oh, sw- I really think they would have done it. Yo, like, I hadn't seen much of him through the season. I saw him whenever, like, Miami played Boston, or I might have caught the occasional Miami game just because I like their blue jerseys. I think they're fire. So if they're playing in the blue, then I'll watch because I'm like, yo, those jerseys are fire. They are. But, yeah, ridiculously. But, man, he's, like, seeing him for a couple of games in a row, that dude is so good. Um, I'd like, I think he would have been phenomenal for Boston. Yeah, he would have, uh... But yeah, Boston did a good job containing Hero and Robinson in this one, I thought. Excuse me. Um, only going 8 of 20 from 3 between the two of them. I think that, you know, you really have to contain Bam better in this one. Um, moving forward, that's kind of the one thing I would key in on a little bit here. And it's, you know, containing his rolls to the rim, like 16 rebounds is, is crazy for a guy his size. And you know, Boston did play a little smaller in this one, and I think that that's going to happen, like especially if you have like Gordon guarding Bam a little bit or anything like that. Um, but I think that that's where I would look to make some changes. Like overall, I think you can kind of run it back with what you were doing. But again, you know, double down on you don't want to lose that intensity for those five minutes and give Miami some hope of coming back. Um, and yeah, probably just doing a little bit better job containing Bam. And I think that Gordon – getting into better shape. I mean, like, after he came out, what, his first, what, he played five, five minutes stretch or something like that, he looked gassed. Um, once, once he's in a little bit better shape, like, I think that'll help with Bam a little bit there. But, yeah, I think focusing on him and overall, I mean, I think they did pretty good. You know, you know Drogic was a minus 29 in this game. Yeah, dude, uh, that shocked me when I saw it as well, which is crazy when he got to the line, like, got seven attempts at the line as well. Um, he's not like he, I mean, he had 11 points. How many assists did he have? Five assists, but five turnovers. turnovers. So that'll cancel you out a little bit. Yeah, I'll have to go back again, but I feel like only shot 20% from the field, dude. That's gonna hurt you plus minus, right? I wonder if he is like the primary guy running their second unit. I think that's the case. Do you know, I saw someone saying that Gordon Hayward has played in more minutes in this series than Kendrick Nunn. Wow, yeah, (laughs) Nunn has not been good. No, he's just not played, dude. Like, um, you know, but, you know you're in the conference. From him? You know how much contribution they've gotten from him in this series? 
How much? None. <laughs> yes, I see it. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. I love it. I love it. Look, at the end of the day, man, I feel like um, now that Hayward's back, there's just too much. I mean, I would really like for Boston to run Hayward off the bench for the remainder of this series. Because as I said, I feel like that makes their dribble drive penetration and everything that comes with that, you know, the off-ball movement, the passing, the facilitating, that makes them relentless no matter who's on the floor. And that was always the design of the Celtics was to have two guys run with the second unit, two guys run with the first. You all start together to sit early. All you're doing now is saying to Smart, right, you're going to start and Hay was going to be first man off the bench. And, you know, Haywood was gassed. Brad Stevens said that he asked out a couple of times. Like, um, you know, the first wind was hard was Brad Stevens' exact uh, exact words. Like, uh, it hit him hard. Was, of course it's going to hit you hard. You haven't played basketball in five or six weeks. Right. Now you're coming back to, you know, a must-win game against a ridiculously well-drilled Miami team. It's, uh, it's tough, man. But I've really, pers- without like, removing myself from the homer takes, I still... Don't I see Boston winning in seven? I'm not saying I don't see Miami winning the game, mm-hmm. but I see Boston bring pushing it to seven and winning in seven. Yeah, I mean maybe we're overreacting, but like Boston should have had these first two games and they blew this, it. This is my point, dude. And then you bring back Gordon Hayward at fifty sixty percent is still better than like sixty percent of other guys. Right. Like, I, I I agree with you. Like, it's weird that I don't feel worried about this series anymore. Like, I did. Don't get me wrong. Down 2-0. But at the same time, I was like, dude, like, they've been the better team in both of these games outside of five-minute stretches, which is huge. Don't get me wrong. Or, like, a quarter in each of them, um, which is huge. But, like, if you just X that out, which isn't that hard, I don't think, you know, then you're fine. And, like, bringing a, a all-star back onto your roster that can handle the load for that six, seven minutes, it in itself probably does a lot for solving that problem. Um, so it's weird, but, like, I'm with you. I'm not really worried. No, I'll still say seven because I don't want to be uh, disingenuous to the threat that Miami pose and the, the basketball that Miami play. I, I agree with you. Like, it's probably seven, but, like, weirdly, like, to, like, point out my confidence in this, like, I wouldn't be surprised if it was six. Oh, no, I wouldn't be surprised if it was it's six, so but I'm weird. trying not to be disingenuous. Right, like, right. I feel like Miami are dangerous enough to be able to cop another game. Yeah. And the thing that's really going to worry you is if they win it on Wednesday. That changes this whole dynamic and it changes the whole conversation. If Boston win on Wednesday, then it's a you know then as far as I'm concerned, it's in six or seven. If Miami win on Wednesday, now everything changes and we hit the panic buttons a little bit. Still not the end of the world because you know if Denver can do it against the Clippers. Yeah, I mean, I'd be pretty terrified if they went down three one. Okay, so here's a question: You've got Jason Tatum, Nikola Jokic. And Luka Doncic, yeah? Mm-hmm. All three guys to choose from. Tier, number them, one, two, and three. If you've got... You need your player to flip that switch and carry you to a victory. Which one of those guys are you taking? One, which one's two, and which one's the last guy you'd want? If they need to be that guy and flip that switch. 
Hmm, like for one game? Yeah, just for one game down the stretch, you're down by six or seven, and you need them to dominate for the next four minutes to win the game. It's probably Luca. Like, Luca's Luca's just ridiculous with what he can do. Um, so Luca one, who's two? I think it's. Hmm. I think it's Tatum. Even after Jokic has played it through the Clippers game and then dropping eleven straight against LA last night. Down the stretch. The only reason right. that Jokic's game didn't beat LA was because of that AD buzzer. Right. This is what I'm saying. Like, look, if you if you're in that point, do the Celtics this is where I was getting to. Do the Celtics have a guy that can flip that switch right. and and really put the say to everybody, jump on my back, we're going for a ride, everything's gonna be okay. Offensively, I think it has to be Kemba. I think he's the one that can do that. And like he hasn't played in like these big playoff situations, but I think we've seen Kemba be clutch, you know, sure, throughout the regular season. But, like, I think back to what was it, Big East Finals, where it's my favorite game winner ever because he absolutely just destroys the, that guy um, on that step back where he touches the floor. But that's a that's a championship game, and he's, and he's hitting it at the buzzer. You know, it's sure, it's back in college. But, like, I, I think Kemba's clutch, and I think he's the one that can get his shot whenever he wants. Like, Tatum can do it too, but I think just with – more time in the league, I think I trust Kemba with that a little bit more. Yes, because there's a difference between being able to hit a clutch shot and being able to put your team on the on your back. And the reason I've circled round to this conversation is because if the Celtics find themselves, you know, tied up with two minutes to go on Wednesday or down by four or up by four, just you know, a small margin either way where there's a big room for error, then somebody's going to they need a guy to be able to flip that switch. And to be able to kind of step into that role and be like, right, I'm not going to let us lose this game. And it's not from playing ISO and it's not from playing hero ball. It's from just being the man. And that is going to be the difference between whether the Celtics end up eventual champions or whether they fall short. Is have, because every championship team has that one guy that can flip that switch. Right. And I'm, I'm questioning at the moment when they're, Exactly, dude. And you need that. You need a guy that can flip that switch. And at the moment, I'm asking myself, is Tatum ready to be that guy and do it within the system instead of, you know, going ISO and jacking up freeze? Because if, if they miss, they miss. You know, you have to live with that. And yeah. when you look at Jokic, who flipped that switch yesterday and, you know, nearly pulled, pulled the series to even, that's the sort of guy you need, and you have to say to yourself, is Kemba going to be that guy? Is he capable? Right. And, yeah, you going through that definitely had me contemplating, like, is Tatum actually that guy more so than Kemba? And he probably is. I think it's just that I need to actually see it. You know, I think that there's been stretches of him doing it a bit, but it needs to happen in, like, one of these big games where he just – like you're saying, he's clearly like demanding, like I'm gonna be take these next five shots, or or I I'm gonna be the, the one last to initiate in these next five ones. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the last step he needs for superstardom is to do it on the biggest stage, flip the switch, and you know carry everybody like a little backpack. That's because that's how LeBron's won. That's what Kawhi did for stretches last year with Toronto. They they have that next gear that they only go to when it's really necessary. And now we need to we might need to see that from Tatum on Wednesday or Kemba. Who knows? It could be Jalen Brown. At the moment, the closest you've got is Marcus Smart because he did it against Toronto when he went five threes in a row. 
Yeah. But that's the type of I'm going to flip a switch mentality that you need, right? Yeah. And I think that, you know, there's enough guys that I think someone will be able to do that or it'll be like a load shared between two of of the four guys that, that we talk about all the time. Um, so I, I do think that like, while they don't have that figured out yet, I, I don't think it would take much for, you know, one of these guys to do, someone. to do that. Yeah. Right then guys. So we want to know who you think's the one that's going to flip that switch. Hit myself up, hit Brendan up, use our names, first name, last name, then NBA at the end or one word. We're both the same, very generic, no creativity in our Twitter handles at all. None. Um, none at all. Kendrick, none. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back again on Wednesday. Uh, we should be earlier. We should be recording tomorrow, Brendan. Is that right? Sure. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's tomorrow. Tomorrow's Tuesday. We record on a Tuesday. Um, so we'll hear, you'll hear from us on Wednesday. We'll hear more about this entertainment system that Brendan's built. We'll hear more about how life's going living on his own. You know, it's going to be a lamp to build now. Oh, a lamp, dude. And obviously, we'll hear about what we're expecting from the Celtics on Wednesday. And we'll probably find something a little bit less big in the same drum to talk about as well. Until then, have a great day. Brendan, finish off. Peace.